that's a little, uh, I think that's a, a culturally insensitive. <laughs> what was the one that was banned after 9 11? Uh, was it. Um, Bo- let the bodies hit the bodies floor. Hit the floor, that was it. Yeah. I, we don't even live, it's like we live in a time where the media and sound landscape is so different that there's no common song that we could think of that would be even banned at this point. Do you think there's going to be a coronavirus song? Like, is there going to be a U2 of Corona? Like a celebrity? Um, like, like a like music, when, like when, a, a, a galvanizing song that everyone, you know, can get behind that really sums up our collective struggle. Um, maybe, but probably no. It'll, uh, it'll, I'm thinking Waka Waka maybe because uh, it's going to have to be like a globally galvanizing thing. It's something that... Uh, you know, like we have never done before as a species. Is there another example of global cooperation on this scale that you can think of? I mean, probably nine eleven. Uh, or no, like that was us getting attacked by a different part of the planet. I guess that's this true. is us getting a different part of this, our species. This is, this us, is us getting yeah. attacked by a different part of the planet. This is like getting attacked by an alien or something like that. This um, is essentially an alien invasion. Yeah. Um, I guess there's like there's been coordinated responses to natural disasters like earthquakes or tsunamis. Um, that kind of stuff. That's true. But this is a little different. This is also an invisible enemy. Well, it becomes visible when it's too late. It's an invisible yeah, enemy. Yeah, and this work. is also everyone has the same risk. Like a natural disaster relief is definitely human coordination, but it's us helping someone, someone who doesn't need it, helping someone who does need it. Right. This is everyone. This is literally uh, untrammeled, like, you know, 7,000 years of human civilization uh, and technology pointed at one problem. Yeah. Like, all of the machines that we thought were actually going to be the thing that killed us, um, you know, all, all of us are, are unified together and trying to solve one problem, which is killing a thing, which I like our chances of doing. <laughs> I, I think pretty good. It's, I mean, I think you'd say that maybe now, more than any other previous time, that humanity has faced a plague. We're better equipped but then also the the I guess the I don't know if you'd want to call them externalities that exist now also didn't exist then like at the time of the bubonic plague you it was probably not likely you were going to leave the 15 mile radius of wherever you were born <laughs> like as opposed to somebody now who was born in like you know southwestern province in China could be realistically could be in New York City London or anywhere else in the planet it within 24 hours and like with not spending that much resources. It is very impressive how fast it has spread. Uh, and it's like, it's obviously due to it's, it's funny. It's like for all the concern about globalism that has existed recently, it's like the most organic kind of innate to our species version of globalism that has brought us this, which is the desire to travel, you know, like it's not interconnected, Economy, it's like the economies are interconnected because people since the dawn of human history have like traveled to see other people and like leave their, you know, right. And it's, it's that physical globalism that basically brought us this as opposed to any kind of coordination for control, you know, that elites are doing. Yeah. Well, you would, you could say though, that the coordination for control is falling apart because as we've, the, the Dow Jones industrial average is now officially below where it was at the start of the Trump administration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. Which is pretty funny that you just, in a matter of two weeks, they just lopped off. They're like, just like, <laughs> be like might yeah. as well go back to four years ago. 
I'm trying to resist the urge to uh, like really relish the political, relish this in, in political terms because I think that this would have happened to anyone, to any administration. It would have been better. Actually, do you have any insight into that about the, the like delay in political response? I will say response? that, here's what I will say. Uh, I think we're going to have to go back and delete previous things we've had to say about uh, the current governor of New York because I will say that his response for who he is actually has probably been the most it's been appropriate or like been most proactive of American um, uh, politicians and people in political office. Uh, Governor Cuomo definitely is, I think this kind of crisis lends to his, his nature as to, as gov- the governor, <laughs> governor, control. yeah, governor, governor windbreaker, always man on the scene uh, for a photo op. But in this case, actually for a legitimate crisis, um, as far as like the Trump administration, it doesn't, I mean, like they were the ones who were saying that, like, oh, never two weeks ago, they're like, it's not as, you know, it's a, a flu, you know. No one could have seen it coming. Yeah, nobody could have seen this coming, uh, even though we defunded the CDC and defunded other. Fired the pandemic team. Yeah, exactly. So Did you see that he also said it was going to, it's like, it's going to vanish like a miracle it'll be. It's going to yeah. just vanish. <laughs> and it kind of feels like right now, with knowing what we know about the virus, um, that the it's like a tsunami in the way that like we're kind of standing at the point where the where the like the the undertow or the waves have pulled back and we're just kind of like bracing for impact and we don't know what that's going to look like but we know it's going to hit like a week from now you know or a week or two from now yeah it's such a bizarre state to be in just seeing this thing so let's back up so the the reason we're doing uh infinity license episode 60 oh, wow, is because yeah. <laughs> um, we wanted to do a little like time capsule of what it was like uh, to live right now. And it's important to note, uh, I think it's important to note that when we had the idea to do this episode, it was, um, I think, a week ago. And it was completely different yep. a week ago. Yep. Like a week ago, it was, um, there, there had been cases in the United States. It was clear that it was this moving thing, but um, from my perspective, outside of the health community like you're in, Brian, um, there were some people that were fretting about coronavirus, but it was people that were kind of that kind of tend to the alarmist. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was this weird thing where it's like we knew there was going to be something that happened, but I was still at work. Most people, I think, were still working in offices, and um, fundamentally, like life was carrying on, but. Uh, it was like this slow, like G-rated zombie apocalypse, like yeah. this, this like weird personal thing that we were like this, this uh, threat to my body, uh, that my body is going to be carrying a life form from China is like imminent, you know, like yeah. it's going to happen, but it's also um, something that the entire world is going through together. And that was a week ago. And that was when we kind of wanted to just commemorate how weird this whole thing was. Since then, it's gotten just absolutely no one outside of the bounds of imagination um, that anyone could have foreseen. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's kind of it's similar in a crisis in the way that I think the reality of the crisis should have sunk in when uh, the NBA, NHL, and MLB all suspended their seasons um, because those are just that was the moment where I really got scared. Yeah, because you're like, okay, we know how much money is on the line in those things. Like that's that's a huge portion of the American economy and American life to just unilaterally suspend them was, I think the, the, the real, um, 
signal to the greater public like hey this is actually going to be a problem i mean the other thing that's interesting about it is it's a little bit more immediate and imminent but it's before the crisis hit us it's kind of like climate change a little bit too right where it's like you can't really measure it until it's already happening and then you're like then it's too late to be happening does that make sense like where you're like oh i i can't see like oh maybe it's a little bit warmer i don't know maybe it's a little bit colder i don't know yeah the ice caps are melting but that could be a bunch of reasons and we don't really understand it same thing as like oh it seems like people in china are sick but we're not sick so that's fine or okay or maybe people in italy are sick but that i'm not sick that's fine and people in china get sick all the time so like oh that's not gonna right. affect me it's like i've know? heard about sars and i've heard about h1n1 and i've heard about all these other things so it's like it just seems the thing that happens every five to ten years um, and then, then the reality that you're like, oh, okay, uh, there's actually people in my community that have been diagnosed or maybe people that have already been sick and had it, uh, that like we don't know about, um, you know, that we don't, we don't know enough about the, the actual virus itself and its expression. Like it seems to express itself differently in different people and different age groups. Like they're still figuring out what's going on with it. So it's like this invisible threat that all of a sudden is just v- suddenly visible in and manifested in ways in your community, whether it's pausing the normal parts of life, like watching sports or going to a restaurant or something like that, or pausing, um, like, or, or pausing somebody's health, (laughs) like actual, like, you know, like being a, a, you can't see your grandma or your older aunt or something like that because, yeah. And that's the part that's, that's really kind of most jarring is that, um, it's this, you know, not only is it this, uh, problem that has stopped life human it stopped human life planet wide on a degree that has never been seen by any terrorist attack or nuclear bomb or anything and yet it's something that's also has like a two percent mortality rate right so it's just it's it's such a cognitive dissonance um and it's a crisis that is unprecedented and yet it's something that it's a crisis that we can't our main coping mechanism to get through crises is other people right and you know solidarity and rallying around other people and hugging and stuff like that and that's the thing we can't do um, so I just want to go through like what the last week was like briefly. Um, because I, the thing I keep thinking is that I, I keep wondering if this is all just going to slide into like, what will the memory of this be like? Right, that's a good question. You know, I mean, like I, so on, uh, like I said last week, so we're recording this on Wednesday, March was it 18th. 18th. Um, and a week ago, uh, there were signs that, like, some bad – it was going to be pretty bad. Right. Uh, and uh, it was already seated in the United States, and we didn't know how bad. But um, it was a fun topic of conversation, and it was, like, a little bit doomsday, but also it seemed weirdly to me just very remote. Uh, and then on – I would say a day – it was a day-by-day – it's certainly been a day-by-day, hour-by-hour phenomenon. Yes. Uh, it was on Thursday, clearly, uh, something was going to happen in terms of us working from home and, you know, who knows what was going to follow after that, a lot of uncertainty, but it was still sort of had this exhilaration to it. Um, the way that I sort of was exhilarated by 9-11 back when I was in eighth grade and just happy to be witnessing something historic happening. Um, not happy, but I was excited about it. And, um, on Friday, Every, shit hit the fan. Like all hell broke loose, and uh, it was clear that this was going to be something that really no one had seen before. And you know, I I always love thinking and talking about the plasticity of plasticity of our brains, but um, 
the plasticity of society is much less. And like, it was really hard to grasp what was going to happen. Like, you know, the idea of will New York City shut down the subway was something that seemed like a very remote possibility. Like, how could how could that happen? You know, it, it's not possible. But right. of course, it, it was possible. And it, it might still be coming even as of now. Um, and then I've been basically working from home. You're not allowed to go outside. Uh, social distancing is the key word of our time. And, uh, you know, I bought fucking rubber gloves to go to the store to buy shit. How much, how uh, much toilet and, paper you got? <laughs> uh, yeah. And for some reason there was a weird run on toilet paper. I actually, the peer pressure did force me to buy every time I've gone to the store recently, I have bought some toilet paper. So I'm actually pretty well stocked. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I- I'm more curious to hear about like, how has your last week been? Because you're working in a place where there it's, a, it's been interesting because it's been a mixed uh, response. I mean, it's been a mixed thing of, I mean, Meg has been working from home since, um, last Tuesday and I, we officially got word. For, this is my first work from home day. And I'm kind of, even though I work for a, a hospital or a medical center, I'm kind of on the administrative and like data and, you know, non-clinical side of things that you'd put, you put like managerial and administrative side of it. So we're, a lot of the people that I work with are very smart people and are also very aware of the, like wh- how critical this is going to be. Um, but we're also wrestling with, it's like, okay, well we understand that we have to be socially distant from people and we should probably limit our, limit our um, presence in public transport. Um, our office is not far from like the Brooklyn's Chinatown. So that there's definitely like a lot of people that were social distancing from that region of the neighborhood. Um, and which like, which is the thing though, like I think, which is the thing that, that people have to consider. They're like, oh, am I, am I being like unwoke or am I being like, am I not supporting these Racist businesses? Is the word. Yeah, but like, right, exactly. Yeah. But like, but at the same time, you're like, well, Everyone in this neighborhood is wearing a mask right now. Is that the safe route to go? Um, it's been a mix of like us just trying to figure out what's the information that's important to tell people. Um, I would say that it was. Uh, it's been a from my perspective, it's just been interesting to watch us react, knowing that we're gonna have to like probably figure out our our role in this, even as administrative staff, and then also figuring out what we can do to help in that capacity. Cause the reality is that the real help comes from nursing staff and people that are trained to, to, to treat people with upper, upper respiratory, uh, or autoimmune problems. Um, for me personally, how it's been is that it's been, the social distancing thing has been something that's been interesting cause I'm a person that I think is not really that socially aware of that kind of stuff. And now I've forced myself to be, and it, what do you mean? Like I'm not. I think I, I think I'm maybe not a close talker, but I'm like I'm just kind of a person that gregarious gets in, get, talks to people, um, which is something that I would not consider previously. Um, it's weird. What I've noticed culturally that's weird is just the reality of this kind of like unspoken statement of like when I go to see people that I normally see in the neighborhood. Like I went to the wine store, and the woman is like crazy times, right? I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. And we're all like, are we going to talk about it? Or like, no, yes and no. It's like, and we're like washing our hands and like everyone's being cautious, like opening the door with our elbows and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, I think that's been a, a social marker where it's just like 
a, the silent threat that everybody's quietly like looking around. It's like, hey, I know you. I, I swear. Like I, even I, I walked into the I walked really fast from my place down to like Seventh Avenue, the commercial district, and I knew that I like I must have had like a bead of sweat on my forehead, and I I saw people like looking at me skeptically, and I was like, oh, and is it be, they they think I'm like carrying like right now? I'm like, oh shit, like, carrying the Wuhan. But, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, did you hear that somebody in the Trump administration called it the Kung Flu? Yes, I did. Yeah, hear that. that's pretty. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, and they're and obviously they're trying to rapidly spin it into some sort of you know xenophobic friendly thing. It's uh, it's the same reason why you know newspapers are talking about this as a stock market event. You know, or like if you go to the New York Times homepage, which I do probably seventeen times a day, not exaggerating. Nice. Um, you know, the, a lot of times the main image is just this crashing chart, which is the Dow. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're all understanding this on our own terms. If you're Stephen Miller and you're, you know, a fascist, you're going to understand this as a Chinese invasion. Um, you know, if you're me, you're understanding this as a thing that's forcing you to be home. I have to say that I, I, I don't mind the no pants thing. I'm actually not sure I can go back to pants <laughs> after this. Um, I know. Uh, the, um, Staying inside though is kind of tough. Like I, I haven't looked at anything, you know, more than fifteen feet away from my face uh, for more than half an hour in five days. So I'm getting a little bit stir crazy. Um, I'm starting to understand how people in prison can like reach into the toilet, grab their shit, and like smear the wall with it. You know, <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but it's only Wednesday. <laughs> Let's that should be the countdown. Yeah, I know. Um, I'll put a picture of that on Instagram if that happens. Um, nice. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, I think it's made me kind of reflect on, um, you know, when Trump got elected, uh, it was this weird moment where you realize that, you know, like you're a huge, like civil war fan. And, you know, we always talk about how there's this, you know, most of this country's history has been lived with us uh, without the stability that we currently have in the post-war period. But which, by the way, this may well right. end the post-war period. I mean, if if nine eleven wasn't yeah. or like the fall of the Berlin Wall or whatever historical event you want, if this ends up being like another yeah. depression, then it'll basically just be a hundred-year bookend on, and we'll have to start new with something else. But um, yeah, but uh, you know, we've had so much stability in this country in our lifetimes and certainly in our parents' lifetimes that uh, that electoral event was something that seemed like, again, it was outside of, it was a black swan event. It was something that we couldn't imagine, then it changed everything. And um, this is the same thing, but on the scope of all civilization. Like, we don't think that um, the ability to congregate would ever be under threat. Uh, and seeing it happen is really jarring. But I think that sometimes things like this can be kind of helpful to like reaffirm the need, basically the struggle for survival that all human species is engaged in. You know, like there is no stability. Yeah. There is no such thing as it. And the fact that um, the fact that there that we have uh, the illusion of stability on which we can build societies and corporations and have, you know, woke arguments on Twitter and stuff. It's like when Tom Brady makes it look easy. Yeah. It's because we're so, it's such an achievement to get to that level of banality that um, it, this has really just driven home for me what an accomplishment human society has been thus far. And, you know, we're going to get on the other side of it. Um, but it, I think yeah. it, it actually, to that point, that's kind of an interesting point because I think that 
even though we are at this level of banality and ease of life for most people in a lot of in good portions of the world i would say the parts of the world that we inhibit um there's a l- high rates of like um deaths related to despair like drug overdose like the opioid crisis or like suicide that kind of stuff and i think it's maybe something like this is a like if might galvanize people towards a purpose you know it's towards like oh i can i can involve like the shaken from the banality they're like oh i can put my put myself in a way that makes me feel useful or towards something you know i'm not saying it's going to solve it and that's not it's not a good thing but at the same time sometimes these um negative externalities or these negative moments bring out they bring out the best and worst of people so hopefully it can and it could also especially given that we are facing a bigger but slower moving, less obvious crisis in climate change, it provides maybe, like maybe this ends up being a blessing just for the fact that like a, it, it'll demonstrate that a level of species-wide cooperation on this scale is possible. Right. Because like, you know, like in climate change, a lot of times what the what one conservative argument will be, well, like, well, you know, they're in India and China, they're not slowing down their emissions, you know? And it's like, that's such a small way to look at it when it has to be regarded as an existential problem for humans, you know? Yes. Um, and this amount of coordination where basically nation, national borders have essentially ceased to dissolve or at least not be used for their current function of, of you know, like deciding who's with me or who is against me. Um, it's being used for medical partition purposes. Right. And that's, it is kind of inspiring in some ways, you know, like there are no enemies right now. It's, al- it's also going to highlight some just, I think what I see as qui- e- quick and easy fixes or like uh, ways that we can immediately impact climate change that were at our disposal right away, which is if, for example, if we had less people commuting or working remotely uh, more often, it would put less strain on our highways. There would be less carbon emissions. Like they've shown, there's been studies that show that it's just like, hey, if people just work from home like one more day a week or didn't commute as much or commute commuted less far, that would actually, like our carbon emissions would go down by like 15% or something like that. And it would have put less strain on our public transit system. We could, you know, we could figure out alternatives that are, are at our disposal immediately. But just because of the inertia of society we're just like ah, oh, i guess we just we can't do that that's that's unthinkable but like, i will say that i was expecting this to be like the world war ii of telecommuting and it's not ready yet like <laughs> telecommuting ver- telepresence working fucking sucks i would say that it's, yeah it's not good it's such a low well, the, bandwidth communication especially channel. with i mean well we'll see we'll see what infrastructures arise out of this because i agree that it's like i was ready for i wish there was more i wish i could telecommute more and i don't but now i have to out of necessity um and uh i i think that we're going to find some solutions and there will be some creative destruction in the process and there will be some frustrations and certainly some roadblocks along the way and it's definitely not something that's designed to be done five days a week with everybody trapped in their home only to go out to get the necessary things i like the idea about I like the idea about uh, like one day a week or something, and also just consuming less pollutes less. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you're just like which we're doing. Yeah. So it's exactly like, so you you have to work with the resources you have, and also you're commuting less. I don't know the be- negative part. What I my vision of the good part of telecommuting would be if I could not be in a crowded and noisy office and could just go to the nice cafe down the street from me. But it turns out the nice cafe is also shut down because we can't go into restaurants anymore. So I'll like tell you the, one the, thing the, that. Uh, Someone tweeted, um, you know, some like probably conservative crank was like, 
you know, I wonder what's going to happen to all those millennials when they realize they can just as easily work from home. Are they going to move out of cities? You know, because as we've talked about before, the rise of cities is such a big part of our generation and a progressive pro politics right now. Yeah. And they would just fucking love it if all of a sudden all it took was millennials realizing that we could just dial in or slack into work or something. And, and the absolute opposite, like this summer is going to be fucking insane. Like I'm going to go as hard as everyone else. It's going to be like the, just this eruption of pent up energy. And I would, <laughs> if I lived outside of a city, I would drive in and get a hotel just so I could be part of like the first weekend where everyone's allowed to run. Where it's free. all clear. Uh, <laughs> we don't know if that'll actually happen, by the way. I mean, like, as of right now, um, what I've heard is that this might just persist for the next, like, obviously 18 months is the timeline for a vaccine right now. But um, uh, right about now, I should be on a flight to Florida for spring training. I we Our family had planned a trip to go to Florida to go see the Mets play spring, spring training. Uh, that has obviously been canceled. Like my life has definitely been directly impacted in that way in my the way of my vacation. And we won't see Mets baseball until they said maybe after Memorial Day. <laughs> That's like the This is also the time when you need it most, you know? I know. So Love is Blind is the Netflix <laughs> reality show at the moment, and I can't stand it. I'm like, I can't watch this. I don't understand how people watch reality television. Uh, it's, it's dribble. It's garbage. But people love it, and it's very popular, and I can't watch it. And I'm like, when are, can I watch a basketball game or a hockey game or even a <laughs> spring training baseball game? Practice baseball? No, I can't. So... <laughs> I got to watch something else. The last thing I want to say about coronavirus is just that uh, the same way that it has driven home the essentially unstable ground that all of society is built on, it's really made an obvious case for active government. Yeah. S you know, strong, informed, centralized government. Um, because it, it's it's sort of become like an like an obvious case the same way that like you know if you want to justify collecting taxes you talk about roads and you know you don't you want roads like the fact that something like this could happen is why you want to have a muscular infrastructure in place for communicating for preventing you from moving if need be i mean like it's a testament to our society that we never use those powers but um it's just been such like i'm so glad that we don't live in a fractured state. I mean, it, there are failed states in the world and, you know, this is going to blow, like tear through them and it'll, it'll, it'll collapse a lot of governments, you know, before this yeah. is all said. Well, and I mean, yeah, it's and the fact that I, we I'm have curious, a strong like, one is something to be grateful for. I mean, and I mean, our, our state, I mean, is strong in certain ways. In other ways, it can't wield authority the way like the Chinese state can, the People's Republic of China can, or North Korea, like where <laughs> they literally had one guy who tested positive and just wasted them they just, they just shot them totally yeah i mean it's obviously like authoritarianism would so is... but it is crazy that all of a sudden now speaking of state power or the state's ability to do things isn't it crazy how the a ubi which four years ago people thought would have been crazy one year ago people were like look at this crazy <laughs> guy andrew yang who's talking about it, or other people were talking about implementations and now literally mitt romney is like let's just give everyone a thousand dollars like they need to just do they, they need to just directly give the american people money like that's the only possible yeah. solution to the economic downturn that's happening and uh trump supposedly told steve mnuchin that you know he wants um a thousand dollars in the hands of you know either every or a subset of americans in two in the next two weeks like send the checks out First of all, I'm not sure that's ever happened. Um, no. So that's a cool thing to see. Um, 
But the question is, do you think that this is a Yang gang thing? Like, do you think that without Andrew Yang, there would be sort of like the vocabulary about talking about giving every American a thousand dollars? You know, it's, it's almost so. an I, arbitrary amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's definitely, I think you could trace it back to him. I would guess there's no way to, to actually figure that out. But like, I think he kind of floated that idea and he had enough of a, well, granted a fringe support, but I think, like I, he I put like it him. into I the, he I injected it into the bloodstream enough that now that's where it's getting picked up by Trump as an emergency measure. Right. And again, I'm not a Yang supporter. I, you know, you know, everyone knows who I supported, but um, I I like him. I think he's got smart ideas, and I think there's certain elements to him that make sense, and that I think he's on he's on to something. So I don't, you know, I think he seems like, and he seems like a nice guy. So couldn't help uh, but it, like, uh, I, notice you said supported. No, I said I said. Oh, I, no, I said support. Uh, maybe I did. Maybe that's a Freudian. All right, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, Bernie is likely going to be dropping out of the race pretty soon. Uh, yesterday was the basically hammer blow uh, that like killed his candidacy. Ber- uh, Brian right and I now, went well, um, canvassing for Bernie uh, in New Hampshire. Um, I liked Bernie. I, I think probably ideologically Elizabeth Warren was my closer candidate, but. I, I really appreciated a lot of things about his campaign, and Brian was all in on it. So with his, I'm just going to say, like, departure from the race uh, imminent, do you have any, like, epitaphs to offer? I I will say, I will not say, of course, by the time this goes, things could have, by the time this is published, things could have changed. But I said the metaphor I used to you last week was that after Super Tuesday, we were down by three runs going into the eighth. Now I'll say we're down by like eight runs going into the ninth, <laughs> and that's how I'll leave it. Um, so I won't I won't officially say anything about it being over. I will say that he still will always have my support. Um, I think just the level of to me what felt like honesty, um, policy forwardness, thoughtfulness. I think a lot of his ideas, particularly my hobby horse idea, which was a single payer Medicare for all system, are is highlighting. Uh, it, or manifesting the problems, it has been manifesting the problems that it's had over the past several decades. But now, in the face of this global pandemic crisis, we're going to see a lot of gaps in the system that we already knew existed. Um, part of me kind of that, ho- hopes it's kind of malevolent, but part of me hopes that the U.S. is just like way harder hit by this than other countries. Because we don't have, you know, like I, the NHS was born after, you know, the UK got bombed by Nazi Germany and like building yeah. out of the rubble of that was they were like, okay, let's, you know, recommit to democracy. And that part of that means, you know, guaranteeing healthcare that people pay into. And if this is really going to be a generational crisis, I think it has the opportunity to um, solidify the need for essentially modernizing our healthcare system into a healthcare system. Yeah. Um, I agree. And it was frustrating in particular because in the debate on Sunday night, Joe Biden said, look, Italy has a single payer system and uh, and they're doing terribly. And it's like, dude, that's like to me, that was like that was such a slap in the face uh, to 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 so many ideas. But to anyone who supported a uh, the idea of a uh, national single payer system or Medicare for all system and also. Uh, real slap in the face to the nation of Italy that is going through a very hard time right now. Because the claim Um, is is something that has to be contended with. Would coronavirus be better if we had a national healthcare system? And 
it's way too early to say that that's not the case. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it will likely prove out that because of the major gaps in healthcare coverage, the United States will suffer worse than other countries. And yeah. what happened in Italy was, yes, there was an outbreak. Uh, first of all, other countries that have national healthcare systems are managing it way better than Italy. So, um, and I, yeah. I don't know that the Italians do anything particularly that well. So I don't know if that's like the best case. But <laughs> I also line. know that they reacted decisively and they shut everything down. And what, what, what he's regarding as... Right. At this stage, an essentially a still early developing thing, which is just mind-blowing to think of, that it's not even close to peaked yet. Um, Italy has shut down, yes, but they've also managed to mount a response to it that was actually more commensurate to it than we have. This thing right. is going to tear through our society. Uh, right now, it's, it's this weird specter where the only people that have gotten it are part of like this international traveling class of essentially rich people that had given it to each other, which is like why Bolsonaro's, you know, aide got it. Um, probably, you know, that, that class is probably more afflicted than people in like inner cities, but it will get there. And once that happens, I'm really not looking forward to, um, you know, all of the generous stimulus and stuff that's being debated now. It's going to be fought tooth and nail by people who are going to turn this you know, seven months from now, after this is a grinding, no longer interesting issue into, you know, why should I pay for people that can't be bothered to wash their hands? You know how those people are. You know, it's going to be a class yeah. racial issue where poor people are, are uniquely left to, you know, it, this is, there's no way this doesn't Maybe end up impacting the most vulnerable. And that is going to be uniquely American. So to say that... Uh, but maybe that, it won't. Maybe it will be the catalyzing, like the bomb. Sorry to cut you off, but maybe it will be like the catalyzing force, like the UK getting bombed universally, uh, and like Blitzkrieged, just being like everyone of every race, class, and creed just realizes like, okay, we 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 got we got got like we and we need well we and need yeah and, and it's it could on the other side of it maybe and the thing that it will drive yeah. home is that the idea that you know right now our healthcare system is. This kind of like Thatcherite, there is no society. You know, I have my healthcare coverage. You know, if you don't have yours, that's your problem. You know, get Medicaid. Um, but this is really driving home that the society is built on human bonds, and human bonds are what's transmitting this thing right now. And the illusion that, you know, there can be some sort of market transactional approach to healthcare when what really needs to be regarded as healthcare on the level of the society, this is a, a palpable illustration of that. Right. And well, ba and circling back, actually, it's a palpable illustration. And I think in one way that it's going to manifest and circling back to um, my my preferred candidate, Bernard Sanders, is that I mean, the people that are going to experience job loss, job loss right now, which means the loss of uh, health insurance for some people um, are going to ex experience that acutely. Um, and yeah, then maybe they'll get guaranteed coverage for COVID-19, but that doesn't, but you lost your job and now there's no back, there was no backstop for you. Um, and you lost your source of income and your uh, health insurance. And which is why it's dumb. It's an accident that we have, our jobs are tied to our health insurance in the first place. It's just from the last global cataclysm known as World War II, that's like an, that's what it's left over from. Um, so now p maybe people just realize it's like, oh, maybe this is a, a rickety bad system and we shouldn't tie yeah. employment to healthcare to employment um, because uh, all of a sudden we never anticipated a scenario where all of a sudden a huge sector of a service based economy would lose their job. Right. Um, and that just happened. You know, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So. And, and it is happening. I mean, some of our customers who are restaurants are saying that, you know, 9-11 was a shock, but this is way worse because there's absolutely no end to the timeline, you know? Right. Back then, it was galvanizing, and people came together and wanted to support local businesses and stuff like that. Now you can't. Right. So it's yeah. Yeah, I have uh, two things to say about the uh, Bernie Bernie kind of having to. You know, I think I think it was probably an honest loss. Uh, I think the country is easily spooked, um, and uh, there was certainly a mounted effort from the establishment that I have come to increasingly hate. They're like trans Republicans. You know, they just they can only see the world through the uh, propagation of their own privilege, but they don't know. They're just guilty about it. Like they don't really, they don't really understand what would help working people. I don't think, um, and so they think that like the country is just not ready for someone who actually speaks to the little guy. The 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 mounted campaign against um, a the ideology of actually helping out small people that Bernie Sanders uh, stood for um, is pretty frustrating. Uh, and I think it's just yeah. delaying the inevitable, which is hopefully the dissolution of uh, the current like power structure in in that party. In yeah, in that party, I'm not sure that much of America really likes the Democratic Party, um, and they'll be the last ones to figure that out. The other thing <laughs> is that um, I just think that it's so fucking stupid that we for months have been living in a world of 25 candidates running for president. From on the Democratic side, it's a uniquely bad and vulnerable president in Trump that nobody likes. I mean, literally, like you know, two fifths out of the country likes him. Um, and uh, there's been over two dozen people running for months. Uh, it has been like polite party conversation to say, "So, who's your favorite candidate?" You know, like it was. It was just so yeah. thoroughly in the mainstream, and yet I haven't even cast a ballot yet, and all of a sudden the race is over. And it's it's down to one of the probably bottom three worst candidates in the race. Someone who is yeah. obviously senile, um, who inspires no one, who has no natural coalition. Um, and uh, it's just a, such a testament to how bad the primary system is that um, out of so many options, we ended up somehow immediately settling on one of the worst ones. It's It's really... I agree. Um, it would be very frustrating if the primary doesn't get to if we the primary stage doesn't get to New York, and I don't even even get a chance to cast my protest ballot vote for Bernie Sanders. I mean, it, um, at, honestly, it would be the same thing. Just like write him in at this point. Like, yeah, that's true. Maybe I should. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I agree that it's kind of, well to your point about like the Democratic Party being this kind of completely out of touch. Um, I mean, Mitt Romney was the one who proposed a. Uh, putting on in a bill a thousand dollars in every American's pocket, and that fed its way up to Trump. Uh, Sherrod Brown and Nancy Pelosi wanted to means test that money, and it's like you, you dummies! Like you're giving, you're like you're scoring an own goal. Like just give everyone, a th- like they're gonna see the Trump bucks come in, like the Yang bucks, and like, and you, you should be, you should be able to score this one. Like you have a, you have a president who's fumbling a global pandemic and the worst stop, like the stops stock drops in the history of the stock market essentially and there's still a outside chance you might lose like there's and there's probably a chance there's a 50 it's a coin i think it's yeah it might even be better than that honestly joe biden yeah yeah we'll see the the, just the settling Um, for the default is what really bothers me about i mean i I, like well yeah right but we'll see i mean like trump has just such a loyal base of people that just love him and then people that like people just don't pay attention they're just like whatever like i from what i learned 
from volunteering from Bernie Sanders. I called a woman in South Carolina who's clearly a uh, black woman. I could tell from her name and her voice. And I said, hi, my name is Brian. I'm calling on behalf of the Bernie Sanders campaign. I want to just want to know if you're interested in Bernie for, for president. She's like, she says, nope, nope. I love Trump. And I'm like, okay, well now I got, yeah. She's like, she's like, I love Trump. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I, I gotta ask you why. Like, I'm, like now I'm going off script. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And she goes, all I know is I just see him on TV. He's funny. I like him. And I just well, like that, and then I turn on my music, and that's all I care about. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that like, and I think that like that highlighted it to me more about the American electorate than yeah, for else. sure. Uh, that's so true. Yeah. I also I met a uh, super Trump supporting very Indian guy, like uh, you know had recently immigrated from India, oh, and yeah. uh, he yeah, was like Tempe. just the most racist, xenophobic guy. And I'm like, do you even get it? Do you get it? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, who am I? To, you know, who am I to say that someone doesn't get it or whatever? But uh, it, I, I don't think he does. Um, okay, so let's wrap up by talking about uh, a positive yes, story. Let's do it. Um, you are about to turn the Christ year. That's uh, right. Thirty-three, and uh, based on a, uh, a a one-time Infinity License guest, Allison Kuzer, um, which was a year ago. Over a year ago, um, yeah. you resolved to, in the last year before your birthday, um, read 33 books before your 33rd birthday. Uh, since your 33rd birthday is about a week and a half away, um, I just wanted to see what how you have changed as a human life since then. Well, let's just say that this pandemic couldn't have come at a better time for me to be forced to read because I'm very behind on my goal. So I'm probably going to get maybe just over half the way to my goal. Still admirable. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm about like at I'm I'm reading two books simultaneously. So I'll probably get to like 16 or 17. As far as like books that I like to read, well, I uh, I learned it's interesting. I kind of set my accountability on the books that I reading is that I would post them to Instagram. So I'd post them as bri- hashtag bribery books. Um, and that was kind of my outward accountability to the people that were following books that I was reading. Um, and I found that I think I like books that are a little bit more informative and like actually have something to say about society than like novels. Novels kind of don't drive me that much. Um, posting definitely kept me accountable to a certain point, but then also that kind of limited what I would read. Cause I'd be like, Ooh, do I want to post about this? Like, do I want to post that I'm reading? Uh, like what's a controversial, I, like I didn't, re- I didn't really choose anything too controversial. Cause I was like, Oh, am I going to pick up? Oh, interesting. Might, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, um, the might get people curve. upset. So, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I w- like, I wouldn't read that anyway. But like, exactly. If I was just gonna be like, I'm gonna read I'm that, or I'm gonna read like the Quran, sneaking, <laughs> sneaking under, uh, tented your bed sheets with a flashlight, just reading the bell curve. Yeah, um, but I will say, I did learn. Uh, I learned a lot. I mean, about climate change because I read The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, and it's. Oh, terrifying. I heard that's so, fucking terrifying. It is terrifying, um, and it's it impacted me. I think I was I am slightly more eco conscious, but not to the extent that I should be. Um, the the best book that I read, or the most fun book that I enjoyed the most, was the Chaos, the the one about Charles Manson, the CIA, and the CIA. Um, that was the t- by Tom O'Neill. Um, it was all about how like Manson may have the Manson murders may have been affiliated with the CIA op, <laughs> and if you know me, you know I love that one. Um, oh, listen, liberal was very relevant to what we just talked about. Uh, by Thomas Frank is great. Uh, it's t- it's basically the the follow up to what's the matter with Kansas. 
I will say the worst book that I read was Zucked by Roger McNamee. Uh, oh, it was yeah. The book about Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Why yeah, was it, it bad? Was, it was a little self-indulgent. It was all about, it was mostly about not Zuckerberg, but about Roger McNamee. It was a little bit of him like pumping himself up and he was like, oh yeah, I'm a, like, I just was this VC like San Francisco guy that it was like, he's kind of like, he's actually would be a perfect audience for and who would learn something from reading Thomas Frank's Listen Liberal. <laughs> what is kind of Listen like, Liberal about? It's about Tom, it's about how the, the Democratic Party lost its base of working class voters um, and is too focused on means testing and kind of e- problems of the elite liberal class and not focused on um, the the kind of uh, programs that will actually consolidate their base and um, and make them appeal to uh, working class people. Um, kind of tracks from like the Reagan revolution to today about where they lost their way. Talks about a couple other points in the road, you know, Bill Clinton uh, moving, sh- taking a shift towards capital yeah. with uh, NAFTA and then Obama maybe taking a shift towards a pivot towards like um, Silicon Valley, uh, chasing Silicon Valley money um, and leaving behind some stuff for the working class of America. But I, re- I think for Lenny, I'm going to recommend that one for you. That's right. I only have it on Kindle, though, So, but I think you really like it. And that's an easy read. That's You'd finish that way faster than The Power Broker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do both. Since I, I, like you, Brian, and like you, dear audience, have nowhere to fucking go. So yep. uh, on that note, um, I hope to see you again in person. Actually, you know what I hope to do is go hang out on your roof at some point. I don't know when we'll get a chance to do that when it'll be safe to interact, but uh, I look forward to that. Um, hopefully, hopefully soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, and yeah, to, to everyone in the future, if this seems completely tone deaf, just remember that that right now things are okay in New York City. We're just a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, we haven't started eating each other yet. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go March throw 18th, on a horrendous 20. 90s movie. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, go read some books and uh, don't don't eat each other. 